Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I am your host, Shonda Martin. If you're new to joining us today, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to the study, Bible study textbooks, and online Bible study course. To access the materials, visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online Bible study course and download the materials chapter by chapter, all free of charge. All right, before we get started, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word and the power to believe your word. We thank you, Father, for this study time today. Thank you for everyone who is listening. I pray, Father, that you would fill us all with the spirit of wisdom and continued revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, we would know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of your glory and the inheritance of your saints of light, and that we may know, see, demonstrate, and experience the greatness of your power, which is toward us who believe your word. Continue, Father, to open our hearts towards your word and turn us away from things that would hinder us from hearing or believing or applying your word, Lord, in our everyday lives. We thank you, God, for your power that is continually at work within us, Lord, and in everything that we do. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've not already listened to the previous podcast or chapters one, two, and three, and even part one of chapter four, please go back and review those earlier lessons so that you are in step with what we are getting ready to dive into today. As we move through this part of the study course, we're in part two now, we're diving deeper into the thicker material and we want to make sure that you have a good understanding for where we're about to go. So if you haven't already listened to the previous podcast, for chapters one, two, and three, and also part one of chapter four, come off of this one, listen to those episodes, and then come back to this one when you're ready. If you have the PDF pulled up, we are on page 64. And we are starting at the uh, lower portion of that page. We are talking about things that the Bible did not actually say. A lot of times our faith can be built up in cliches and traditions and things that we've heard people say, things that we've heard preachers preach or ministers preach or teach. And a lot of times those things have not actually been what the Bible has actually said. They've been more of what people have said or what people have thought instead of what the Bible actually says. And as a result, when we have a lot of faith in things that God didn't actually say, His power is not going to be at work because he didn't say those things. But we want his power to be at work. So we need to find out what he said and believe what he said. Likewise, we need to know what he didn't say and stop believing those things. So again, like I said, we're in chapter four. So we're going to look at some of those things that God did not actually say. Not true. Sometimes God sends tragedy and calls people home. Now, this is a statement that is commonly heard after a loved one has died. Well, we're going to miss them, but you know, the Lord called them home. So you might be asking, what's the harm in thinking that God calls people home? First of all, we must clearly understand who God is, who Jesus is, and who the devil is. Again, the Bible tells us that the devil is a thief and a murderer. We see that in John chapter 10, verse 10. But God, on the other hand, is a good, loving father who sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins 
So we not only would have our sins forgiven, but so we would be healed and have long life. We see that in Psalm 91 and also John 3.16. Now, if God was so thoughtful to send Jesus to help us, why would he heartlessly call people home that were not ready to go and did not want to go? Why would he devastate families in such a tragic way, leaving them to struggle to make sense of such a loss? When you truly know who God is, you could not possibly think that God, who is a good father, would cause a person to die, leaving children with no parent, a husband with no wife, or a couple with no child. How does that sound like a loving father? That sounds more like an enemy who brings harm and detriment to your family. No, when someone has died without being satisfied with long life, as God said in his word, Psalm 91, 16, that was the work of the devil. The Bible tells us that just as God has good planned for us, the devil has evil days planned for us. We see that in Ephesians 6, 13. The devil tries to get us to act on impulses of pride, ignorance, disobedience, selfish desires, insecurities, and emotional hurts so that we can all have bad days of sickness, distress, dysfunction, calamity, and death that the devil has planned. And while you might think that sin and disobedience are the most common baits he uses to cause people to die prematurely, the devil's number one weapon against people is ignorance. Remember, God's word is our manual. It is put here so that we can understand how spiritual things work here on the earth. But when we don't take the time to study his instructions, which is the Bible, for ourselves, we remain ignorant of the devil's devices, causing ourselves to continually accept his bait and fall victim to his attacks in every area of our lives. The Bible tells us in James 4, 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Corrupt communication is any use of words that directly opposes or contradicts what God said and what he commanded us to do. Your words are supposed to minister grace to yourself and others, meaning they are to encourage you to believe the word of God. That's what it means to minister grace. I'm going to speak things that's going to encourage you to believe God. I'm going to speak things to encourage you to receive healing, to encourage you to keep standing for what the word of God says, to keep training your children according to what the word of God says, to be faithful in your marriage, to have a, a godly business. I'm going to keep encouraging you to believe what the word of God says. Corrupt communication, however, keeps us from having what God provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. How? Sickness, disease, chaos, calamity, and untimely death are tools of the devil used to hinder and harm us. When we choose to believe and speak that God uses tools of the devil to call people home, when an evil day does come for you or your loved ones, you won't be healed or protected because you won't resist or speak against it. And yes, when you know and believe what God really says, you can actually speak against death and even prevent death. We know this because the Bible tells us so. But when you choose to accept corrupt communication, you won't believe and declare that in spite of what the situation looks like, 
God promised you long life and that no sickness or other evil work will be permitted to cause you harm. We see that in Psalm 91. Instead, you will use your words, that corrupt communication that you heard and believed, to cause the work of that devil to come and remain. And because you won't resist that sickness or chaos, it won't flee. It will actually remain until it kills you. And when the next evil day of sickness, disease, or calamity tries to come against you or your family, no one will resist it. Your friends, your family, and even those at your church will accept those circumstances, being convinced that it must have been God's will for you or your loved ones to come on home. Remember, the promises and protection of God are not random and they are not automatic. He is not blessing some people with good health and long life and protection from harm and choosing to bless others with sickness and harm. Again, look back at James 4.7. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, that means you submit to his way of speaking. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our report? There in that passage of scripture, the prophet Isaiah was asking God, who has believed what God told him to tell them? A lot of times we can find ourselves believing what is popular or believing the conversations we've heard at the barbershop or the hair salon or on the news or at work instead of believing what God said. When we choose to submit to God, we believe what God said. That passage of scripture or that verse of scripture in James says, submit to God and then do what? Resist the devil. That means don't accept what the devil is saying. The devil says things that contradict the word of God. If the popular conversation is, oh, well, you know, flu season's coming. You know, we get the flu every year. That's not submitting to God and resisting the devil. That's resisting God and, and submitting to the devil. You're accepting the flu. You're accepting what the devil said. You're accepting those circumstances to come on you. In chapter three, we discuss the four components of receiving anything from God. Those four steps demonstrate how we receive things good and bad, either from God or from the devil. You hear it enough until you believe it. And once you believe it, you start speaking. And then once you start speaking it, you are definitely going to have what you say. If you keep speaking bad things, you're going to have the bad things. If you keep speaking good things, you'll have the good things. Likewise, if you keep speaking that, well, you know, God sometimes call people home, then eventually you'll have what you've been saying, as well as everyone else around you. If everyone else around you is continually saying that God sometimes call people home. When you confess such things, you won't have to wonder when there's an untimely death, what happened or why God let something happen. What happened was, they heard something, they believed it, they spoke it, and they have it. Again, Jesus said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind or forbid on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose or allow on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's from Matthew 16, 19. In that scripture, Jesus revealed a spiritual law that is tied to mankind's dominion and authority on the earth. Now, we permit the blessings and protections of God to come to pass in our lives when we choose to follow his instructions, 
and believe and speak what he said or what his word says. Likewise, we also permit the devil to do as much harm as he desires when we choose to believe and accept and speak what he says. You need to understand this. We give the devil permission to harm us by accepting his suggestions and by believing and speaking things that God never said in the first place. Again, the Bible tells us to resist the works of the devil, not accept the works of the devil, and permit him to wreak havoc and turmoil in our lives. Again, look back at James 4, 7. Remember, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us when we believe and accept the revealed word of God. That's from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. And what did Jesus reveal to us in Matthew 16, 19? We have a choice in what we permit to come or remain in our lives. In the Bible, we see several instances where even death came, but was not permitted to remain when the people looked to Jesus to receive his help. Death came to Lazarus, but Jesus and Lazarus' sisters did not permit it to remain, and he was raised from the dead. That's in John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44. Death came to Jairus' daughter, but Jesus and Jairus did not permit it to remain, and the little girl was raised from the dead. That's in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Death came to the widow of Nain's son, but Jesus did not permit it to remain, and the young man was raised from the dead. We see that in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Death came to a woman named Tabitha, but the other believers and Peter did not permit it to remain, and she was raised from the dead. We see that in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 43. Sickness, disease, and even tragedy and death can try to come, but we permit those things to remain when we choose not to resist the devil and say that God called them home. As if to say that terrible things are okay as long as God did it. I mean, think about that. That's, that's really what people are saying when they say God called people home. Hey, I mean, that's a terrible, terrible thing. But if God did it, it must be okay. That is not God. God did not do those things. The enemy has done those things. To tell people that God calls people home seems to be another well-meaning attempt to provide words of comfort to a person after they have lost a loved one. That's understandable. When people have gone through a tough time or have experienced a terrible loss, you want to provide some words of comfort. And where are they basing this on? Where do they get this idea from that God calls people home? Some have based that thought on what a man in the Bible said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's what a man named Job said. We see that in Job chapter 1 verse 21. That statement was made by a man named Job after he'd suffered unimaginable harm and loss. But what do we know about Job? Remember in the introduction chapters, chapters one and two, we talked about asking Bible questions or study questions. When we study the Bible, you need to understand who was talking, why were they talking, who were they talking to, were they under the old covenant, were they under the new covenant, did they have any understanding of spiritual law? Remember, Jesus told his disciples that they had more revelation than the prophets of old. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that Job was a righteous man. And for him to be a righteous man, he had to have some kind of understanding of the things of God. Now, Job, like everyone else that lived in the Old Testament days, 
had no understanding of the devil and no spiritual authority over the works of the devil. Neither Job nor his wife nor his friends could understand why they experienced such harm and loss. They could not figure out why God caused or let those things happen. But thank God for Jesus. Jesus tells us exactly who causes harm and loss. The devil. Again, we see that in John 10.10. Jesus also said that he has given us authority and power over every power of the devil, including sickness, disease, chaos, and every other calamity that could ultimately cause death. Again, in Luke 10.19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He does not mean that I'm just giving you mental power. He's giving you power over the actual works of the enemy. Furthermore, the Bible also tells us, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall be allowed to come against your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that's from Psalm 91. Now, the thing to remember, looking back at those verses from Psalm 91, why or how will God command his angels concerning us to guard us in all of our ways? When we speak his word, when we submit to God's word, when we submit to God's word and his direction in our lives, his angels go to work upholding and enforcing the good that we have spoken, the protection that we have spoken, the power that we have spoken. His word goes to work and causes his angels to be at work on our behalf. But when we choose to submit to what the devil has said, choosing to believe and speak things that God did not say, his angels aren't going to work. His power is not going to work. That ends up leaving the devil free to do whatever he wants to do because you're speaking along the lines of what the devil wanted you to say so that he could freely do those things. Sickness, disease, chaos, harm, and tragedy are evil works of the devil. You and your loved ones do not have to accept sickness and disease, chaos, tragedy, or untimely death when it tries to knock at your door. But if you choose to accept it, that sickness, that chaos, and that calamity will do just what the devil designed it to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. God put us here to do something. Attacks of the enemy come to stop us from doing what God put us here to do. When we don't know what the word of God says for ourselves, we can be deceived and position ourselves to accept every early ride the devil tries to throw our way. But when we choose to know and believe what the word of God actually says, we can begin to effectively exercise spiritual authority over all the works of the devil, including death. Also not true. God has to break you and take you through tests and trials of hardship and pain in order to bless you. Now, in this section, we will study the importance of understanding the difference between ignorance about spiritual law and spiritual authority, consequences for our actions, and the consequences of judgment.
Failing to understand the difference between these three things have led many to wrongly assume that God takes people through terrible situations in order to bless them. And when we study the Bible in context, we see that is simply not the truth. Again, I keep reiterating how we have to study in context. Anybody can take a short verse or even a short passage and make that be something that it is not. We have to study his word in context if we're ever really going to have his power at work in our lives. As we briefly mentioned before, Job was a man who lived during the Old Testament times who suffered great harm and loss. However, the Bible tells us that at the end of his ordeal, God blessed Job with twice as much wealth as he had before and also blessed him and his wife with more children. Not only that, Job regained his health, lived for 140 more years, and was able to see his children and grandchildren through four generations. We see that in Job chapter 42, verses 12 through 16. But in telling Job's story, some celebrate his suffering because he was blessed in the end, somehow thinking that the harm and loss Job and his family endured was acceptable because it must have been part of God's divine plan to break him before he blessed him. However, when we study the word of God more closely, we understand that Job's sufferings weren't part of God's plan to bless him, but came because he had no understanding of spiritual law or spiritual authority. In chapter 7, we will discuss the many hindrances to spiritual authority that have come from misunderstanding and misapplying things from Job's story. Now, we see similar misconceptions when looking at the story about a young man named Joseph, who also lived during Old Testament times. See his story in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Now, when he was just 17 years old, Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. When that plan failed, they sold him into slavery, after which he was sent to prison for a crime he did not commit. Years later, Joseph was delivered from that prison and immediately exalted to a high government position where he saved the people of that region from a famine. Now, during this time, Joseph was reunited with his brothers where he forgave them, saying, You meant evil against me, but God meant it, the harm, for good. And that was recorded in Genesis 50, verse 20. Now, with that statement, Joseph looked at the events of his life and wrongly concluded that since the good only came after he had suffered the bad, the bad must have also been part of God's will and plan to get him to the good. But when we take the time to study Joseph's backstory, we see that that cannot be the truth. Many times, God reveals the good that he has planned for us but we make bad decisions along the way and add a whole lot of unnecessary bad to the good that was already prepared for us. And in Joseph's situation, the harm he experienced wasn't God's plan, but was a result of his father's actions. When Joseph was just a teenager, God revealed to him in a dream that he would be a great ruler one day, meaning it was already God's plan for Joseph to have the good. But Jacob, Joseph's father, showed Joseph and his mother Rachel an extreme amount of favoritism over his brothers and their mothers, causing Joseph's brothers to despise him and deal treacherously with him. And when we look at Jacob's own backstory, we even see where God promised good things to him. Yet he caused himself unnecessary harm by doing unnecessary ungodly things. We see Jacob's story in Genesis chapters 27 through 33. 
And just as Jacob still would have had the good without having to have the drama that came because of his own bad actions, Joseph still would have been elevated to that top position of rulership without the years of hardship and adversity that he endured if his father had only treated the entire family fairly and loved them all equally. Again, Proverbs 26.2 tells us a curse without a cause shall not come or remain. You don't look at somebody's situation of hardship and adversity and assume that God blessed them with that bad situation. If there's a bad situation, there is a reason. There is a direct cause and effect to people having hardship and adversity. Now, again, we can look at situations of hardship as being a direct result of sin or disobedience, but the greater cause of hardship and adversity a lot of times is because of people's ignorance about spiritual law and spiritual authority. And also, as we see here with Jacob, the issues that Jacob caused himself and caused his son Joseph were caused by his failure to submit to God and love equally. God told us all to love one another as we love ourselves. We're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people. Jacob did not love his family evenly or equally, and that caused problems. One major factor that contributed to the problems that Jacob had was that he had more than one wife. And even though a lot of the patriarchs in the Old Testament times did have more than one wife, God created man and woman. He created Adam. He created Eve. He did not create Adam with 10 wives. But somehow along the way, people decided either by um, copying other people's examples from other cultures that it was okay to take on more than one wife to expand their family. But that is what the root of the problem was. Jacob truly loved Joseph's mother, but he didn't have the same affection or the same level of affection for the other wife or the maidservants that he had taken on as concubines. And because of that, his lack of affection for those women carried over into his lack of affection for the children that they bore him. Jacob's situation very much is an example of somebody who was walking in the blessings of God, who was very instrumental in establishing the 12 tribes of Israel, walking with God in the favor of God, but because he was out of order in these other little steps here with his family, he suffered adversity unnecessarily because these little areas were out of order in his life. Yes, it was wrong for his sons to mistreat Joseph as they had, but had he not mistreated those other sons, that would not have planted the seed and fueled their desire to cause him harm. Sadly, many believers have taken Job's and Joseph's wrong perspectives to mean that God must have planned for us to go through horrible situations so that he can give us the good in the end, as if God gets glory to show off his power after you've come through a terrible situation. While yes, it's good to have God's power at work to deliver you from bad situations, but God's glory is shown off greater for you not to have gone through those problems in the first place. When we study his word for understanding, we know that it is never God's plan or God's will for us to suffer harm or loss. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for you to hope and have a future. Now, when did God say those words? 
Who was he talking to and why did he tell them that in the first place? Throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see where God sent the prophet Jeremiah to plead with the people and the leaders of Judah, that's the southern kingdom of Israel, to repent because judgment was coming. Now, what does it mean to repent? Repenting does not mean to half-heartedly say to God, God, I'm sorry, only to return to that previous behavior again. Rather, to repent means that when we recognize that we have done wrong, we sincerely ask God to forgive us and do an absolute about face in our behavior, leaving our previous ways behind to turn in a new direction. And what is judgment? Judgment is not God sending sickness, financial challenges, or dysfunction to teach anybody anything. It's not God sending natural disasters or acts of terror so he can bless us in the end. And it's not God randomly sending harm to his people because he wants to show how powerful he is. But here's what it is. Judgment is the cause and effect, single instance, sudden or fixed season of unchangeable consequences that come upon a person or group of people because they or those they are joined to violated or ignored spiritual law. I'll read that again. Judgment is the cause and effect, single instance, sudden and or fixed season of unchangeable circumstances or consequences that comes upon a person or group of people because they or those they are joined to violated or ignored spiritual law. Now, while some acts of harm and loss can seem random, the consequences of judgment are not random. In judgment situations, Single or multiple actions took place that caused harm or loss to come. You need to understand that. As we will study later, when certain violations of spiritual law are committed, the violators are met with swift or immediate judgment, which can even include death. We saw this when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. We see that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9, and Luke 10, 18. We see that when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, that's in Genesis 3, verses 21 to 24. And we also see that when a husband and wife fell dead after telling a lie. That is found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Other times, violations can cause people to incur seasons of judgment consequences. And a season can be days, weeks, months, years, or even decades we saw this when the Israelites were made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's uh, found in Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 to 35. When the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar was made to wander as an animal for seven years. That's in Daniel chapter 4. We also see this when Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth's husband, he was made mute for more than nine months because of his unbelief. That's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 and 57 through 66. Then there are times when violations are committed, an individual or wide-sweeping judgment is coming, but people have an opportunity to repent, to completely turn from their sinful ways and make corrections so that judgment can be avoided. This is what was going on when God spoke to the people of Judah in that passage in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God repeatedly warned them because he did not want them to incur the season of judgment they had sold for, the desolation of their city and the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. 
You can read more about that in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10 and Galatians 6, 8. Why did God warn them? God warned them because once judgment comes, it cannot be reversed and it must be fulfilled. Interestingly enough, after the people refused to listen and were carried off to Babylon, God spoke those words in Jeremiah 29, 11, where he told them that I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for you to hope and have a future. He spoke those words to his people during that time to reassure them that even though they were in the midst of their captivity, he still desired to do them good and he still had good plan for their future. With that understood, we see that they did not have to be taken captive or had their city destroyed. God did not have their enemies attack them and cause them to be broken in captivity because he wanted to test them so he could bless them. Again, God warned them to repent because he wanted them to avoid the judgment that was coming. Likewise, people today can find themselves in a situation of harm when we violate spiritual law and ignore God's warnings to repent and make correction. Please understand, it is never God's will for us to suffer harm or loss. The only person that had to suffer harm and die was Jesus, and he only suffered and died so that those who receive him would have abundant life and be victorious over the works of the devil. Again, we see that in John chapter 3, verse 16 and chapter 10, verse 10. Throughout Jesus's ministry on the earth, we never see where Jesus broke or harmed anybody in order to help them. Think about that for a moment. We cannot partially read accounts like these in the Bible and somehow think that sometimes God sends suffering, harm, or loss in order to get us to his blessings. When we study to understand his word in context, we see that while the devil always means to cause us harm, God's plan is always for us to have the good, and he doesn't have to take us and break us to give us the good. Like Job, Jacob, and Joseph, we can suffer great harm and loss and even cause others to suffer harm and loss when we are ignorant about spiritual law and the far-reaching consequences of our own actions. But as we study to know better, we don't have to keep suffering harm or be left with desolation as God's power can still make those damaged areas of our lives become a thriving place of beauty when we begin believing and obeying his word and choose to accept the help that we have in his word because of Jesus. Think about it like this. Even though you may have made bad decisions in the past, you don't have to keep making bad decisions for your future. It's like if people had bad credit issues, Yes, you previously suffered adversity or difficulties in your finances, but now that you have a better job or you're doing better, you can have a better credit score and you don't have to keep suffering from that old bad credit score. You can start reaping the goodness of having the good credit score. So let's start having the good by choosing to believe what God says from now on. Also not true. God just helps us spiritually. Now, this is one response that I have been met with a number of times over the years in trying to share what the Bible says about being healed or being helped. After I completed the healing book that I, I worked on a number of years ago, I remember sharing that with a person and they responded back to me by saying, well, no, God doesn't actually heal people. You know, he heals us spiritually. So like you can't always expect to have physical healing in your body. He just heals us spiritually. That means that you know, he saves you. That's not what the Bible says. 
My response to any comment like that is, what does the Bible say? Don't tell me what you think. What does the Bible say? Where are you getting your information from? Not to be antagonistic or argumentative, because we're not supposed to argue with people. But if we are going to have God's power at work in our own lives, our foundation of faith must be in what he said, not in what other people say. If what you are saying is not lining up with what the Bible says, I can't subscribe to what you're saying. I want his power at work in my life. I want healing in my body. I want help in my relationship and my circumstances. I don't want to believe and accept the no help and no healing that other people believe and accept. If we want what God said, we have to know what he said and believe what he said and continually confess what he said with our mouths. Does God just help his people spiritually or does he provide actual help? What does the Bible say? When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he parted the Red Sea, protected them from their enemies, and brought them safely through it. The Israelites praised God for protecting them because he actually protected them from harm and destruction. That's from Exodus chapters 14 and 15. When a widow needed help, actual help to pay off her husband's financial debts. She went to see the prophet named Elisha. Now she not only received instructions on how to solve that problem, but those instructions caused her to have enough money to live off of for the rest of her life. We see that in 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. Again, this is actual help that God provided, not just spiritual feel-good help on the inside. In another instance, we see when King Jehoshaphat And the people of Judah were facing certain death because three, not one, not two, but three enemy armies were coming against them. They prayed to God for help. The Lord told them that he would protect them and the three enemy armies ended up destroying each other. That account is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verses 1 through 30. Again, this is actual help and protection. It wasn't theoretical or philosophical help this was actual protection when the apostle paul was on a ship that had been caught in a terrible storm he and everyone on the ship were protected from harm immediately after surviving the shipwreck paul was bitten on the hand by a poisonous snake and had no reaction whatsoever he was protected actual protection We see that account in Acts chapter 27 verses 1 through 44 and Acts chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. These are just some of the instances where the Bible records where God provided actual help and protection for his people when they asked for help and believed what he told them. Likewise, we must also choose to believe that God desires to provide us with actual help, healing and protection from all harm and danger. Also not true. God heals people by taking them to heaven. I have heard this a number of times after someone has lost a loved one. Some have accepted the thought that if a person's body is not healed and they end up dying from sickness, ailments, or other detriment, they say that God did heal the person. He just healed them in heaven or healed them by taking them to heaven. Messages like this are yet another common, well-meaning attempt by the pastor or minister or family friend to give the person a word of comfort after losing a loved one. While that message may provide a moment of comfort to a grieving individual, that is not the truth. And how do we know that? 
because that is not what the Bible tells us. Now, why do I keep saying, you know, this is what the Bible says or this is not what the Bible says? Because again, I want to have what the Bible says in my life. I want to have his power at work. If you keep confessing that God can't help you, he can't save you, when you find yourself in a tough situation, do not be surprised if his power does not work. If you continually spend your time confessing that God doesn't do those things, or maybe he doesn't always do the things that he used to do in the Bible days, his power is not going to be at work. Because again, what did we learn from Romans 10? Whatever you keep hearing and hearing, you're eventually going to believe it. You might say, well, I haven't heard a lot of people say that. That's just what I've been saying myself. Well, you are with yourself more than you are with anybody else. And if you keep hearing yourself say that day in and day out, that God doesn't do this and God doesn't always heal or help people or he heals or helps people by taking them to heaven, then you are going to eventually start believing what you hear yourself say. Once you believe it, you're going to start speaking it. And once you start speaking it, you are going to have what you have been saying. So if you keep saying that God doesn't heal people or he doesn't help people like he used to do in the Bible days, you will not have his power at work when you find yourself in those tough situations. Let's be clear on a few things. Not being alive anymore is called dead. And healed means that your physical body and your mind is completely well so that you are alive and healthy with full mental clarity, fully able to do all that God created you to do. If Jesus healed people by taking them to heaven, then he would not have physically healed anybody. Every person he ministered to would not have been healed. They all would have died. This may seem a little blunt, but if God's people are ever going to have what he provided for us through Jesus' sacrifice, then we are going to have to believe what the truth is. And the truth is the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, who when his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In that passage of scripture, Jesus said, you who are human and fully capable of sin and error can clearly understand how to give your children what they ask for. Why then would you expect God, who is all-powerful, not to know or understand how to give his children what they ask him for in prayer? How is it that you think you can understand your own children's requests clearly, yet your requests to God always get lost in translation? If you ask your Heavenly Father for help with the problem, you should expect help with the problem, not more confusion. If you ask for protection from all harm, Expect protection from all harm, not random chaos or tragedy. And if you ask for healing, expect healing, not prolonged sickness or death. I want to have the good in my life and I want you to have the good in your life. So always believe that God wants us healed. He sent Jesus for us to be healed. So expect to fully be healed. 
Also not true. God just heals us spiritually. Some have said, oh, healing just means that you're spiritually healed. You know, that you just get to go to heaven when you die. But what does the Bible say? Does the Bible tell us that Jesus spiritually healed people or did he actually heal people's bodies? Let's look at Matthew chapter 8 verses 14 through 17. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. In that passage, we see that Jesus actually healed people's bodies to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And just what did Isaiah say? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And that's from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1, 3, 4, and 5. The book of Isaiah is found in the Old Testament and the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew with some portions in Aramaic. The Hebrew words here used for grief and sorrows also mean sicknesses and infirmities or deficiencies. This is why Matthew quotes that prophecy as infirmities and sicknesses. If we are ever going to fully have what God promised, we must actually know and believe what he said, his report. If that prophecy meant that Jesus only spiritually healed people, he would have told them that their sins were forgiven and let their bodies remain in that state of sickness. The Bible does show us where Jesus spiritually healed a number of people. In those cases, there was not a need to minister to their physical bodies, but he ministered to their spirit by forgiving their sin. We see one instance of this in the seventh chapter of Luke, where a sinful woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. This is what Jesus had to say about the woman. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining with him at the table began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 44 to 50. On another occasion, Jesus ministered to a person both spiritually and physically. We see this story in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. 
Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetops and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. This passage of scripture shows us that Jesus did not just provide spiritual healing. He provided actual physical healing that was evident not only to the person who had been sick, but to those around him as well. Likewise, Jesus was crucified not only so that we could have our sins forgiven and be spiritually healed, but his sacrifice also provided physical healing and protection from all harm so that we can enjoy the health and healing in our physical bodies as well. Regardless of what tragedies and chaotic circumstances have happened to you or people you may know or people you knew in the past, or even what tragic stories are reported on the news from one night to the next, these are not the reports we are to believe. We are to believe and speak the word of the Lord. While we may have suffered adversity in the past because we did not know or understand what the word of God truly said, we can take the time to study the word of God now so that we can have days of good health protection, and long life from now on. Looking back at Isaiah 53, that passage that I read says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Who was Isaiah talking about there? He was talking about Jesus. When the Jews looked at Jesus as he was crucified, as he was beaten, as he hung on the cross, they looked at him as if he deserved what he got that God must have been punishing him for something that he did. But Jesus was crucified for our sin, not for his own sin. He was despised and we did not esteem him. They did not think well of him. But Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs, our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In addressing the comment that Jesus just healed people spiritually, if you are spiritually healed, if you have received salvation, that means you are physically healed, because a curse without a cause shall not come or remain. If you have received salvation, then your sins are gone. Sin is the reason or the cause for sickness or disease to be there. If the cause or root has been taken away, the fruit or the evidence of that problem 
can't still remain. That man who was lowered down through the floor by his friends to receive healing, he received healing after he received forgiveness. After his spiritual state was fixed, sickness no longer had a place in the man's body. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, so be healed. Rise and walk. So I say to you likewise today, if there's someone listening who has received salvation, know that your sins have been expunged. Therefore, there's no reason for that sickness to be there. There's no reason for that sickness to remain. So be healed in Jesus' name. And if you haven't already received salvation, that's an excellent reason to get saved so that the works of the devil will have no place in your life. Being saved or receiving salvation has nothing to do with church membership or how busy you can be in church. It's all about you being able to fully receive every good thing that we have because of Jesus. And he came so that you can be free from all the works of the devil, including sickness, pain, dysfunction, and distress. Again, looking at that man's example where his friends lowered him down through the roof, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. To know that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus paid the price for your sin, Satan has no place to bring those things to your life. He has no place to bring sickness, disease, aches, pains, dysfunction, or calamity to you. If you have not already received salvation, you don't need anybody to pray with you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I receive your sacrifice for my sin. Now, if you believe that when you say that, then you are saved. You have received salvation. So whether you just prayed that prayer or you prayed it 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago, know that the works of the devil no longer belong to you and choose to no longer accept those things. In Jesus' name. That's why it's important to really know what the Bible says so you can start believing and speaking what the Bible says so that you can have what the Bible says. We can only have the good God said we can have when we believe and speak his word, when we follow his directions. Don't accept lies or untruths or mistruths that other people have spoken if you desire to be healed. If you desire to be healed or helped, know that healing and help are available in the word of God. And God prepared it by sending his son, Jesus. Amen. All right, we have come through the end of yet another chapter. I have sincerely enjoyed our time together today. I hope you have as well. If you need to access the materials, be sure to visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. You can download the materials there or register for the free online course and also take the assessments at the end of each section so that you can kind of see how you're doing see how you're retaining the information you can also connect with us on facebook and instagram at study with c martin or on twitter at study with c Martin. you can find us on anchor.fm forward slash study with c martin on any of those platforms feel free to send us a message if you have any questions or positive feedback about the podcast we'd love to hear from you and if you have any questions we'll do our best to answer those questions and get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks again for joining us on the Study with C. Martin podcast. Again, I've been your host, Shonda Martin. And until next time, take care and have an absolutely wonderful day.